Hello. Well, I've spoken in the past about uh, my cousin. Uh, more like a big sister to me, really, than a cousin. As uh, used to live at the farm, as I used to visit. Where my grandparents lived, where I was born. And we were chatting away, talking about... Well, reminiscing, really, about things that had happened, people we knew. And she was telling me that a house had come up for sale in some village next to near where a friend lived. And uh, she said it was your granddad's brothers. And I said, oh. She, she said it was quite a coincidence. She says, as a little girl, I went there and visited once or twice. And she said it was quite a thing that... Uh, this person she knew had took her to have a look at it. And I thought, oh, right. I didn't know my granddad had got a second brother. I said, I know he got one brother because I've got his uh, victory medals from the First World War and the death plaque that went with it. In fact, I'd got war medals from both me, my grandmother's brother and my granddad's brother on my dad's side. And I said, well, I didn't know he got a second brother. And I was telling her how I'd, I don't know how I'd got hold of them, but I'd acquired these medals from the two deceased soldiers both killed in action in the First World War. I said, I don't know how I got them, but I remember as a child visiting the farm and playing with these medals on the table in the living room, looking at the ribbons and looking at the things on the front and back of the medal and seeing the names engraved around the edges. I didn't really appreciate then what they were, what they signified. I just knew there were medals that belonged to the family. And I was telling her how in later years I'd uh, taken them down to the National Memorial Arboretum at Oriwas and had them framed all into the one frame. They'd managed to acquire cap badges for the two regiments they were in and put those into the setup and put little plaques under the medals with the names of the soldiers, their regiments, and when they were killed. I was very proud of it. Cost me a bit more money than I thought it would, but uh, it's hung in pride of place on the wall now. They look a treat. They'd even managed to polish up the uh, death plaque, the death penny as they call them made that look quite presentable now. It was a little bit tarnished and dull before they had it. Put new ribbons on them, make them look spruce and tidy, but they gave me the old ribbons to keep so that I got the complete set. Really pleased. So I promise next time I visit I'll take it with me and she can have a look at it, see what they've done with them. I mean, she probably hasn't seen them for 50 years or more.
probably longer now I think about it probably 60 years since she last saw them but it's been a, a strange week all in all I mean many years ago when Elaine and myself first started doing narrow boating I thought I'll have a look at the Royal Yacht Association's Helmsman Certificate and then if we do this narrow boating regularly when we go to hire a boat and they ask if I've got any experience I can just say yes I've got uh, the IRYA qualification so I looked it all up and I think it cost about £300 and I thought Ooh. the state I was in then after my divorce I hadn't got funds for that kind of thing so it went into abeyance and then two and a half years ago I volunteered at Chesterfield and I started getting interested and going out on the boat became what's known as competent crew I could steer the boat and take it through locks and have passengers on board provided I got a qualified skipper with me now they don't do the Royal Yacht Association qualification they do the National Community Boat Association qualifications which allows you to carry passengers so I said oh I quite fancy doing that so I got a bit more experience of going out and taking the, the trip boats out and quite enjoying myself then Covid came along and it sort of dropped off the calendar couldn't do the course so I'd sort of forgotten about it but when we started doing trips again earlier in the year I was talking to the boat manager and talking about different things he says yeah he says I've a good mind to put you forward for the the boat managers course and I didn't know much more about it then a couple of three weeks ago I got a email there's a NCBM course National Community Boat Managers course next Thursday would you be interested oh yeah great yeah it's a two-day course it was Thursday and Friday and I had already booked to go away somewhere on the Friday and I explained this and they said it's all right we can do the second day another day so I did the Thursday went away for this long weekend I'd booked when I got back I got another email there's a first aid course on Thursday which you will need to go in line with your boat managers course right put me in for that then no problem so I did the first aid course and lo and behold I then got another email saying we can do the second part of the course on Thursday can you be at Ollingwood Hub for 10 o'clock yeah okay we'll get that done so having waited several years to try and get this course and everything done within the space of a fortnight Thursday to Thursday 
I'd got it all done and qualified. I've passed it all. I've got my first aid certificate. I'm just waiting for my uh, certificate in community boat management. I'm fair proud of all of that. A little daunting that one day in the in the near future I should be able to turn up with a set of keys, unlock the boat and then go through the procedure that I've spent this time learning. It's not just a question of being able to start the boat and steer it and look after passengers getting on and off. You've got to know all the workings of the boat as well. Check the engine over before you start, check the alternator belts, check the electrics, check the rudder, propeller, all the rest of the lighting and gas and everything else to make it all sure it's safe and working before you set off. Make sure all the various safety equipment's on board, the things that you need for the voyage like the mooring ropes and the boat pole, life belts. It's quite daunting really. But I knew it was coming, so I'd read up about the boat that I normally go on, make sure I knew where all the electric points were, make sure where all the safety valves were, cut-off valves. Done all of that. And then comes the day I have to do the practical. I'm on a different boat. Hey, not to worry, an engine's an engine. Once we'd found out where the dipstick was and all the rest of it, it wasn't a problem. Alternator belts were a bit tricky. Oh, you have to crawl along the top of the engine to reach them. They're under the. They're not. They're not immediately under the uh, removable hatch where you get down to the engine. They're further across under the solid decking that you can't remove. But it was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the. I enjoyed the session, went up a slightly different different bit of canal to where I normally operate, so yeah, I enjoyed it. And uh, I'm now on the list of skippers for the canal, because I've had emails addressed to all the skippers and it's come to me. Quite pleased with that. Just waiting now for the accreditation to come through with the the card and the certificate and I should be a happy man. Different things have cropped up over the last few days. We've started looking at booking holidays for next year. We weren't too bothered. We don't normally start until about January or February but my daughter had been trying to sort out a site in Wales that we go to Went for the first time last year. I've been to the area before, but not that particular site. But uh, it's a site that my son-in-law used to go to as a as a youngster, and he's been going there for the last two or three years again. A bit of reminiscing and take my daughter to see it all. So we went with them earlier this year. And we had such a good time, he was keen to book it again. And he had a job to get a pitch. It was filling... As he was on the site trying to book a pitch, they were 
disappearing off the list of availables. The pitches were going as quick as that. But we got in, we go in there next year. But that made Elaine and myself think. So we decided we'd better have a look now that so many people have got caravans and motorhomes and holidaying in this country is getting more and more popular since Covid we thought we'd better check we fancied going up to Northumberland but apparently that's that's the same there are pitches available up there there's quite a few on a couple of the three of the sites we tried so we're not desperate but we are going to book in the next few days to make sure we're there. We've still got a site we've paid a deposit for, but we've got a sort of a, a rolling agreement with them that we wanted to go down to Gloucester Docks and the Gloucester Docks Inland Waterways Museum. We booked that in 2019 for early 2020. We obviously couldn't go in 2020 because of Covid, so we rolled it over to this year. And we couldn't go this year because of Covid. And the owners of the site then were away later on in the summer, so we, we didn't go this year either. So it's rolled over to next year. So the site is there. We've paid the deposit. We've just got to finalise the dates we're going. And we'll be down in Gloucester. We haven't been to the Lake District for quite some time. Been a couple of times, but we've stayed in B&Bs when we've been up there. The first time was a bit of a random one, and then... <laughs> funny that one was, we, we went up early in the year, I don't know if it was January or February. And it was cold, but we enjoyed it, we walked around... Windermere Village and along the lakeside and did one or two little visits here and there and then the day before we were due to come home it snowed I thought this will make it interesting trying to drive home but well, once we got out of uh, out of the village we were at Bowness on Windermere and we once we got out of the village and onto the main road it was fine just a bit tricky getting out of the car park and getting onto the, the main roads. Previous to that, we've been up there and we've been to Coniston. Stayed at a, a little B&B &B that an ex-work colleague of mine ran. So we, we're looking forward to going back. Been looking at sites up there to see where we can get and what we can do. Found a couple of interesting ones. Should be alright. Just got to make sure the car holds together and gets through the MOT and do any odd jobs that want doing on the, on the caravan. One or two little wear and tear faults coming into it each time we go away, but it's an old van. It's sturdy enough in its construction, it's just one or two little, I suppose, decorative bits really. There's nothing seriously wrong with it. 
Not where I've had the front windows done, they were all delaminating over the last three years or so. Did the middle one originally, and then we had the other two done at the start of this season. A place in a place called Shelf. It's a company up there in a place called Shelf, which is just outside Halifax. Rather than pay postage and wait while the windows were going up and down, we drove up there and dropped them off and then they told us when they were ready and we drove up and fetched them back. We made two days out out of it all. Thoroughly enjoyable. It was great. Went over into Hebden Bridge and had a walk round there along the canal side. Not everything was open though at that time of this year. There were still restrictions on, which was a shame. We did manage to get a, a sandwich and a drink outside a, on the outside tables at one of the pub places. But yeah, it was... Rather than rely on postage and being able to parcel the windows up okay so as they were delivered without any scratches or marks on them, we we went up in the car and did it. And I'm pleased we did. Didn't take as long to get there. It's a straight enough road. On the way back we called it a place called Brig House. Had a look at the little Brig House basin where the boats are moored off the main line of the canal. I didn't know where Brig House was originally, it was just a, a name on a on a record label. The Brig House and Rastrick Band. That was the one that did the floral dances. Terry Wogan used to sing along to. Every time he played it on the radio, he sang along to it, to the proper words of the folk song. <laughs> People liked it that much when he did it, they encouraged him to make a record of it, and he ended up singing on top of the pops to the backing of the Brighouse and Rastrick Band. So yes, I know where it is now. I haven't got a clue before. I know it must be a northern thing because a lot of the, the brass bands of that era were in the north. Either factory bands or colliery bands. Something I always enjoyed. I like a, a decent sound of a brass band. And that was before I'd ended up playing in a the scout band. Well, I've talked before about our Springer Spaniel, Monty, and how he's been a handful to train on the lead. I've said before, in the caravan, in the house, in the car, in the garden, he's a smashing dog, loving to bits put him on a lead and open the door to take him out and he totally forgets everything. 
But I must say, the last two weeks or so, Elaine especially has made great strides forward with him. He doesn't pull strongly now. He still stretches the lead to its extent, but we're not struggling to pull him back. The right words and the offer of a treat and he's back alongside, taking notice of what we're doing. If he does go, he goes the full extent of the lead and he, he pulls on it, but not enough to make us stagger along behind him. He doesn't, what I call, dig his heels in and go for it. When we're somewhere different and he's curious, he tends to pull more that going around where we usually take him for a walk around the area around the house is brilliant. And Elaine is so patient with him. She was sat there the other day teaching him, teaching him how to shake paws, to roll over and to weave in and out between her legs. I sat there amused watching her. But he does it now. Without a problem, you ask him for his paw, he puts it out for you. You ask him to lie down, he lies down. Make the right motion and tell him to roll over and he rolls over. He's he's really starting to get to grips with it now. He's starting to respond, which is good. As I've said before, we got him a bit later than we'd liked. I mean, normally you pick him up at about eight weeks. Well, he was about 12 weeks old when we got him, so he'd grown out of the tiny puppy stage and was quite a mature dog and had got his own character. He'd been in with the litter all the while. He'd been pampered. People had slept in the same room as him overnight. So to come to us who wanted him to have his own little kennel overnight and everything else, it was a shock to him and it took some time to get him right. I went over to see my daughter yesterday She'd always wanted a dog for a long, long while, ever since she lost the uh, the boxer she had some years ago. But uh, because of circumstances, she wasn't in a position to get one, but she had the offer of a Springer Spaniel herself, so I went to see it yesterday. I don't know if it's eight weeks or nine weeks old. The tiniest, fluffiest little thing. More Monty, when we got him, was nowhere near that small or tiny. And I thought, yeah, it's a pity we hadn't got Monty at this age. We could have done more with him. We'd have had that extra month where he was young and impressionable to, to get more out of him. He's a funny little dog, my daughters. But he's already, he will, in the house certainly, he will come to you. And he'll sit down if you ask him to, or tell him to. But they're having problems. The uh, My grandson loves dogs. He loves animals. And he always makes a big fuss of Monty, and Monty plays with him. He tried doing similar with the, this puppy that they've got, but he's still mouthing a lot, and he's got very sharp little teeth and as soon as you try to do anything with him he tries to bite you 
well not bite but grab you with his teeth like he would with any other puppy in the same litter when they roll around and nip at each other while they work out who's in charge. He'll get there though, I I gave him some encouragement and told him how things are when you've got young dogs and how they grow up and how, they, how you sort them. Another month or so he'll be the best friend he's ever had. But it just takes time, a bit of patience. We've learnt that. It's so easy to lose your temper when you think they're not listening or they're, they're uh, not training, they're not listening, they're not learning, they're not responding when you try and stop them pulling or stop them doing something. It's so easy to lose your temper. But you don't get anywhere doing that. You relax. You sound calm and confident and the dog will sound calm and confident. And because of that, we're doing quite well now. It's so easy to shout at them. But we've we've developed a, a way of working with Monty now. And we're getting there. It used to be hard work taking him out. It's not totally a pleasure now. But you feel as though you've done something. When you come back, you feel as though you've achieved something. You've done something useful. Rather than thinking you've had to fight and struggle with him all the way round. I know Elaine was getting quite despondent at one stage as he wasn't developing and he wasn't the dog she thought she was going to get. But he's getting there now. Certainly in the house he's quite loving with her. <laughs> to be honest he's too loving he just sits there staring at her sometimes he's, he either thinks she's got a treat or he can see she's eating something and he's there he doesn't beg, he doesn't pester he just sits there and has these sad hungry look in his eyes but he's okay he's okay I'm still not sure how we're going to cope with doing the holidays. We, we've Over the years, we've developed a certain style of holiday and how we spend our holidays. Now we've got a dog in tow. When we go away, we'll have to alter what we do, how we do things. I think it's a case of if we go somewhere where we want to go to a lot of country houses or visit castles or go into certain museums or certain facilities we can always look for kennels where he can stay either stay in kennels near where we're going on holiday or put him into kennels near a home so that he's there for the duration of the holiday it's all things to think about all things to do we've got the winter just to finalize all of that i know there are several kennels nearby to where we live so it won't be a problem finding one but if we can find one that's nearer where we're going on holiday and we can just put him in for a couple of days while we do certain things that would be better so we're working on it well we've been planting out the garden
over the last few days, putting in a few winter plants. We just have to watch Monty now, because if he sees a bit of fresh growth and he can get to it, he'll pull it up to see what it is. But he's been pretty good. There was one plant as he had a go at, and we stopped him and told him not to. And he's been looking at the flower bed and we've been a bit suspicious of him but up to yet nothing has been pulled out again he's he's been very good we've had to alter the garden round a bit we've had to put uh, some potted plants and a few uh, leftover rocks from the rockery to try and discourage him from going into certain areas around the pond apparently it did fall in the other day i missed it and uh, I think Elaine missed it actually, but she heard the splash and saw him coming in, coming back towards the house, wet through. He's only done it once. Hopefully he'll learn. But usually he knows his place. He knows where he's allowed to go in the garden and where he isn't. Just occasionally. Something will happen. He saw a squirrel running along the fence the other day and he, he jumped up onto the bit of garden he shouldn't be on. A quick call though and he was off it and back where he's allowed. Ah well, it's progress I suppose. The only problem we've got now is drying him off. We went to the puppy training last week and he came back absolutely filthy. We had to bath him and clean him up. We got a, a paddling pool thing as Elaine bought him for the hot weather last year so he stood in that on the backyard and we we washed him down and then dried him off with towels and then Elaine got the hairdryer on him. Hey his coat didn't half fluff up, that was so nice. <laughs> yeah, the joys of having a dog eh? Anyway I'm looking at the clock. My half hour's well and truly up. Ta-da for now.